Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our post-game edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, the Jaguars and the Browns. The Browns, 31-27 winners. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot, Ashley Bastock here at Cleveland Browns Stadium. It is about 9, gosh, 9.50 already at night <laughs> on Sunday. We're going to give you three takeaways from the game, some final thoughts after that. So let's get to it. Mary Kay, what's your big takeaway today? My big takeaway is the fact that Joe Flacco played really well for the most part. He did turn the ball over twice, but some mistakes from him are to be expected. He just showed up here three weeks ago off the couch. Uh, So he did turn the ball over a couple of times, and he's going to have to clean that up. But Kevin Stefanski named him the starter for the rest of the season. It's absolutely the way to go. There's no way that you're going to start Dorian Thompson-Robinson ahead of a guy who just won his 100th career game on this very field today, improved to 10-2 in Cleveland Browns Stadium. Most of those victories, of course, coming when he was with the Ravens. Uh, But, you know, he's, he's the man. He's been there before. He's been through these AFC tight, heated, hotly contested battles. Uh, He's a Super Bowl MVP. And, uh, you know, he did what he needed to do today. He threw three touchdown passes of 30 yards or more. Granted, he did it against the 30th ranked pass defense. So let's keep that in a little bit of perspective. Um, But he did it. He did what he needed to do. And he's going to get another chance and another and another. So this is sort of the Joe Flacco experience of the last few years, right? He's going to miss some throws. He's probably going to turn the ball over a little bit, but he's also going to throw for 311 yards, and he's going to open up your passing game. And I'm looking at the 10 longest plays for the Browns. Um, It's a deep pass by Joe Flacco for 41 yards, another one for 34, another one for 30. Uh, There's a Jerome Ford run in here, and then there's another deep pass for 20 yards. I mean, Ashley, these downfield passes just weren't happening without Deshaun Watson and a 300-yard game for this team. It's, it's been done once in the last two seasons. So he's just completely changed this passing game. And we know that they want explosive big plays like he brings them. Yeah, I mean, that was, it felt like, the number one concern with DTR. Like, even when he got past that week four Baltimore start, which, like, just looked totally overwhelmed in that one and couldn't move the ball down the field. Even when he looked more comfortable out there, like in Denver, it still wasn't materializing, I think. And like he hadn't really established a connection 
it felt like with any of the pass catchers beyond Cedric Tillman, who they have this you know years-long history going back to high school, he wasn't able to get anything going with Amari Cooper, for example, or Elijah Moore. Joe Flacco has been able to do those things a bit more. I still think, you know, the connection with Amari Cooper, they're leaving something to be desired there. And Amari, you know, just came out of the concussion protocol this week. They didn't get their normal reps in practice. So maybe that's to be expected. And nothing's been perfect with Joe, but I think when you have a veteran out there, and David Njoku talked about this last week, like they pick things up very quickly because they've been through this before. So I think you're seeing it with how this downfield passing game is developing and the way he's getting different guys involved. Like that 41-yard pass today was to David Bell for his first career (laughs) touchdown, a guy who hadn't done much yet this year. And I think there's something to be said for that. Yeah, Mary Kay, it seems like whatever Joe is doing is we're finally starting to see some of the things we've been saying should be happening, right? I mean... David Njoku has the second best game of his career and scores, you know, has his first multi-touchdown game of his career today. And, you know, last week he was a toe away from having a huge play uh, against the Rams. Um, David Bell, like, like Ashley said, all of a sudden he has a 41-yard catch and run because Joe Flacco reads a zero blitz and gets rid of the ball to the right guy. Elijah Moore suddenly is delivering a little bit on some of the promise that we thought he could bring when, when the Browns traded for him. So whatever Joe Flacco has brought, it's started to like unlock all of these things we thought really good quarterback play could finally unlock. Well, you know, he doesn't have any preconceived notions about these guys. So, you know, he doesn't know that, hey, maybe maybe David isn't going to concentrate and maybe he's going to drop the ball, even if he's wide open, right? I mean, he doesn't feel that way. Uh, these guys have confidence in him. He is instilling confidence in these players around him. When you have won a Super Bowl, you come in with a bunch of instant street cred. They know you know what you're doing. They know uh, that you can get them to the promised land, possibly. And so, you know, these guys are dialed in. They're focused in. You know, Joe has completed so many passes in his career. He knows where to place it on a player's body. He knows how to play the angles. He knows how to, uh, you know, work against defensive backs. Um, but, I mean, once again, we must take it with a bit of a grain of salt because this is the 30th-ranked pass defense. They were without their uh, two starting cornerbacks today. And, you know, it's not like they played the number one pass defense and that he was getting, uh, you know, had, you know, sacked on every other play or anything like that. I mean, you know, once things get tighter as you get going, you're going to play better pass defenses than what he had to play today. But those things don't matter. You know what matters right now? He won a football game. He won a football game. He got them to eight and five and they're going to make the playoffs and he's going to have to uh, be on point in the playoffs to keep them moving forward. Yeah, I don't know what this looks like if they have to go to Baltimore in the playoffs and face that pass rush, but you'd be in the playoffs. <laughs> and that's that's the first step, is get to the tournament. And then from there, when you got to deal with Baltimore's pass rush or Kansas City's defense or whatever, great. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But the first, first things first, get to the playoffs. Ashley, what was your big takeaway today? So I think there's a few ways to go with this for the defense, but I'll go with like the big way that I think we need to talk about them overall. And it was Miles Garrett today taking the opportunity to just go after the officiating. 
and the way he is officiated in games. He went there multiple times in his post-game press conference. He talked about how he thought his shoulder looked like a feral cat, or I think he said feral cats, multiple of them, had just been clawing at him all game. He was ironically going up against Blake Hans for most of this game, the former Cleveland Brown. Um, and it was the third straight game that he did not have a sack. The defensive line as a whole had been struggling to get sacks in their last two losses. They didn't have any. Um, it was a streak they broke today. A couple of guys got sacks. Grant Delpit, um, Obo Garanquo, Zedarius Smith, and Maurice Hurst. So three came from the D-line. And, and on some hand, like I think that's good that they were able to produce without Miles. This defense has needed more of that throughout the season because he can't do it alone. But... I thought it was interesting today that he was willing to go there. We know he's probably going to get fined and all of that for saying his piece on it. Uh, and he used a Shaq comparison again, which he's also used in the past. Yeah, Mary Kay, what did you think of, of Miles just sort of... T- I mean, look, guys who understand the media and are good at the media, are they kind of go up there with a plan. This was clearly something you wanted to say. So the first opportunity he had, he was going to deliver his message. Um, I, I guess when he makes that decision, hey, well, I'm going to make this about the officials. What, what, as you're hearing that in real time, what, what are you thinking? You know, I think that it would hit a little bit better if it came in a game in which he got a sack or two. The fact that, it, you know, he vented when he had his third straight game without a sack, I think I would like to hear something like that when it's not so much out of frustration. Now, you know, that's probably why he didn't have a sack is because he was getting held. And, you know, there are times when, uh, you know, you feel it's right to just blow your stack like he did tonight. Uh, so, you know, I guess we can't fault a player for expressing himself, um, but I think it would have come off a little bit different if it had come in a game in which he was able to at least accomplish some of his goals and and snap the two-game skid that he had coming into this game. Now he's got a three-game sack drought, and that's the first time that's happened since weeks 15 through 17 in 2021 when he was fighting through a groin injury. And the reason why it's important is because in addition to trying to get this team to the Super Bowl, he, you know, was going to have a chance to win NFL Defensive Player of the Year honors. Every year it seems like something happens in the second half of the season that prevents that from happening. This year, he has a shoulder injury. We know about that. And, you know, and now they're doing this quick game where it's really hard to get to the quarterback, although they did sack uh, Trevor Lawrence four times today. Miles obviously didn't have one of those, except for on the two-point pass, which didn't count in the stats. Um, So I guess that's my takeaway, Dan. I would have liked it better if he had some sacks and it just wasn't out of the frustration of, of getting shut out again. I never like officiating talk. I don't know why. I mean, look, officiating in the NFL has been awful all year. There's all kinds of controversy today off this Chiefs game, this Chiefs loss to the Bills. Um, Your story on Miles complaining about the officials is probably going to be the most read story on our site, if I had to guess. I I mean, like, people eat that stuff up. I know Browns fans don't like, you know, we always see screenshots of Miles getting held, getting hit in the face, and that's sort of... I hate to say that's the nature of being a great pass rusher, but it kind of is because I think the alternative might be, okay, we're going to see a holding flag on every play, 
And people don't want that either. Like, I don't want to have the game stop and hear from an official after every play. So I, I don't know. I'm not sure what the balance is of, like, how do you officiate a freak like Miles Garrett versus avoid throwing a flag on every single play? I, I think it's really difficult, but I'm sure Miles, there's a little Phil Jackson thing going here where Phil Jackson used to always complain about the officials in the next game. Oh, look, the Bulls are getting calls all of a sudden. So I, I don't know, Ashley. I mean, what were you thinking when... I don't remember if you were in the room when Miles kind of started going off or not, but at least when, when you kind of saw that he went after the officials. Yeah, I mean, well, I have a funny story because I was the last reporter in the locker room today. <laughs> so I walked in the final time, Dan, I know you actually asked him about it again after he had kind of impromptu brought it up after listening to the interview back. And I walked in and I was walked in next to Peter John Baptiste, <laughs> the head of the Browns comms, and I said, what is he talking about? And Peter was like on his phone. He's like, something about the officials. He's like, he's been going on about it for a while. And I'm like, oh boy. Like you just kind of know, like I said, I think my my thought was this has clearly been bothering him for a while now. And we've seen Miles, when, when these things bother him, he talks about it, right? He did it in 2021. He talked about being held. He talked about getting the shack treatment. That year was when he also kept going on tangents about getting random drug tested and about like wearing sleeves versus not wearing sleeves and making those kind of quippy comments like he's done this in recent years so I wasn't really surprised to me it's really not surprising that it comes in a game after he didn't have a sack for the third straight time I think I think had he produced maybe with some sacks he maybe wouldn't have done this um that's whether or not we think that's you know a fair way to go about it I think is another discussion But I really do think, knowing him and how his sack production has gone down these past three games, that that is really, truly what's eating at him. Because if you're still, you know, racking up one and a half sacks here, two sacks there, it makes it easier to stomach the holding, I suppose. But he's falling behind in the league sack race, too. He's like in sixth place right now or something. Yeah, it feels like that defensive player of the year is is slipping away a little bit. And look, Miles... Has team success first, but all these guys think about individual success, right? I mean, they're human beings. Of course, he wants to win Defensive Player of the Year. He he wants to be a Hall of Famer one day. He wants all of those accolades. So, um, I'm I'm sure that's that that's part of it too. That frustration starting to build over time. I'm going to stick with the defense with my takeaway. Um, obviously, from a points standpoint, this was not some dominant performance, but the defense today forced four turnovers. Martin Emerson had two interceptions. Greg Newsom had an interception. Uh, they forced a fumble in this game as well. Uh, that was Anthony Walker who forced it and recovered it. I feel like this defense got its swagger back a little bit. And Ashley, I want to start with you here because you um, you talked to Zadarius Smith on Friday, and then you wrote a story today about Jim Schwartz and, and kind of what he did with the defensive line. That this This felt more like the Browns defense today. Yeah, you know, I thought it was interesting to hear multiple guys talk about this. And it was funny. You've got, like, inklings here and there in the locker room. There was some kind of meeting on Saturday, which they always have meetings the day before the game, like a big defensive meeting. Um, and it was clear, like, guys were saying, well, it was the meeting Saturday. That really – it really started there and us getting ramped up. A few guys, you know, talked after, like, Obo Garanko got into more detail. Anthony Walker Jr. got into more detail. And basically, they went into this meeting, and there was no final scouting report on the Jaguars. No, here's what they might look like without Christian Kirk, and what if Trevor Lawrence doesn't play. Jim Schwartz had put together this tape that was defensive highlights of them 
throughout the season, and it was of multiple guys. Anthony Walker said they watched a half hour, but Jim said to them, there's an hour more of this that we could sit here and watch if you guys want to. But that guys were really fired up, and it seemed like what they were struck by was they were all seeing themselves make plays at different points. So I think that sort of was an unconventional method for Jim Schwartz that seemed like it paid off because guys were talking about it after the fact and it being a huge jumpstart to their motivation levels after these two you know, down performances. Z this week said that they got chewed out for not having any defensive line sex. He said it again today, actually, after the game, which I thought was funny. And I think those guys came in here with a renewed, you know, sense of confidence and and all that stuff. And there's there's so many caveats to what the Jaguars were dealing with, with their injuries, of course. And I, I do think you want to be wary of of, you know, saying the best defense in the world stuff is the reporters, right? Because like we're always trying to find those caveats. But I do think, like you said, if we're talking vibe checks, they got their swagger back, and I think that was important for them. Mary Kay, did it? Did this? I mean, Jim Schwartz didn't call this defensive lineout by accident on Thursday. Um, speaking of guys who know how to work in the media, Jim Schwartz didn't do that by accident. And it, again, it just felt like I, under, I know they they ended up giving up twenty seven points, um, but it this just felt like the Browns' defense again in a lot of ways. Yeah, and you know what? They sure know how to put on a show here at Cleveland Browns Stadium, don't they? They really, really feed off the home crowd. They are 6-1 at home this season, and that's pretty remarkable. Uh, They are dynamite here on the lakefront, and, you know, some of it has been because, you know, some of it has been Clayton Toon and some of the quarterbacks that they've played, but you can't use that as an excuse today. They played Trevor Lawrence today, and he was a little gimpy, on a sprained ankle, but nevertheless, they picked him off three times, and um, and they you know they played a hell of a game, and they responded to the challenge. They rose to the occasion, and they acted like the number one defense that they are. I mean, we saw all the swag. We heard the boombox. We you know we heard all the noise about how they were the best defense in the land, and they needed to go back out and prove it. They hadn't had a sack in two games, and they were a big reason why. They had lost each of the last two games. They were able to actually win the turnover battle today because they got these four takeaways against one of the best takeaway teams in the NFL. Uh, so the Browns won the turnover battle four to three. That was important. Uh, if they hadn't won the turnover battle today, I think this is a day in which you don't win the game uh, because it's just going to cost you in the end. So it, you know, it was great. I mean, the only downside is that Miles didn't get that sack. Uh, you know, it would be nice to see him really stay in the thick of the NFL Defensive Player of the Year race. Now, he can get back in it, uh, but once you start to to slip down in the rankings a little bit, it kind of has a tendency to get away from you a little bit. And hopefully for him, that doesn't happen, because I thought this year was going to be his best chance to get it. Last time he played Justin Fields, he had four and a half. Now, that's very different Justin Fields now. I, he's, I think he's been playing pretty well, and... It, this presents an interesting test because the Browns have struggled against very mobile quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm actually, well, I'll talk to Lance Reisland a couple times this week on the pod, and I'm sure he'll have some thoughts on that. So this is going to be an interesting test for Miles and the defense coming up against the Bears, who just beat the Lions today. So they're suddenly kind of a little, uh, a little frisky, the Chicago Bears are. Okay, let's take a break, and then we'll offer up our final thoughts on this game. 
back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, Browns Jaguars postgame podcast. Final thoughts. Who's got a good one? You know what? I, I feel pretty strongly about my final thought. And Dan, when we were walking uh, down, you know, into the locker room, you you kind of disagreed with me on that and that th- <laughs> on this, but that's okay. That's okay because I think you know debate is is good and it's good for podcasts for sure. Um, but I do firmly believe that once you get into the tournament, absolutely anything can happen. And I mentioned something about, who knows, Super Browns. <laughs> and, you know, okay, stranger things have happened than a team like the Cleveland Browns finding their way into the Super Bowl on the strength of an amazing defense. Stranger things have happened. But what they needed to have to go along with that defense was a quarterback who could complement the defense and help get them there. And right now, I think they have that. And they are so banged up right now that I think the arrow is pointing up on this football team once they start to get some guys back. They're going to get Denzel Ward back. They're probably going to get Juan Thornhill back. Hopefully for them, they'll get Grant Delpit back after the groin injury that he suffered today. Um, You know, I think that, you know, there's a chance that, and Dwan Jones should be back pretty soon from, from his knee injury. I mean, if they can get some of these guys back and just hit it at the right time and hit the right team at the right time in the playoffs, anything can happen. They should have all of their goals right in front of them and not settle for anything less than what they wanted this season. Okay, so I'm old enough to remember the coach on the opposing sideline today took a team with Nick Foles, who took over in December and took that team, and they won a Super Bowl on the backs of their defense until the Super Bowl, and they they won a shootout over the Patriots. I'm old enough to remember things like this can happen. It is entirely possible we had a coach... Doug Peterson has a statue outside of Lincoln Financial Field with Nick Foles. Um, And honestly, the parallels to that would be so interesting because like Joe Flacco leading this team to a Super Bowl and then you've got to give it back to Deshaun Watson, right? Like they had to give it back to Carson Wentz. Anyway, that's a whole other podcast down the road. (laughs) And I don't know, the defensive coordinator. That yes, oh, yeah, there. right, right. Oh, yeah, there was a defensive coordinator. Rodney McLeod was on that team. Uh, okay, fine, whatever. Um, I'm just not ready to make that kind of leap with this football team yet. Um, they're going to make the playoffs. I have no doubt about that. They're 8-5. and five. They're going to make the playoffs. They're going to win two more games and get in. Um, from there, do I believe they can go win three road games? I don't know about that. Now, Mary Kay, you also would make the point that they could still win the division. Mm-hmm. Baltimore's schedule is tough. They're only two games back of Baltimore, so that's still in play. Then they would at least get one home game. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just not ready to make the leap from they'll make the playoffs to they'll win three playoff games on the road. That said, Ashley, the AFC is wide open. The Chiefs seem beatable. The Dolphins, oh, Mary Kay wants to jump in here first. The Dolphins, I don't know if they can win a physical game. I could be talked into it. I'm just not ready to go that far. Well, I'm not saying they are going to make the Super Bowl. I'm saying that anything can happen when you get into the tournament. And I believe that this is a football team that can beat anyone. I don't see an AFC team out there that they absolutely cannot beat and that we would look at that and think, oh, that's a joke. There's no way. That's not happening. 
I, I just think that they can beat anyone this year. And that's why I feel like their goals should still be in front of them. It's, it's the winning on the road that kind of stops me, too. It's the fact that they would have to go on the road and win three games, and that's been hard for them um, this year. But again, like it, look, like I said, I'm old enough to remember when Doug Peterson did it, so maybe, maybe it happens. But um, they're, they're definitely going to make the playoffs. I'm, I would be, at this point, if they don't make the playoffs, that would be an, an absolutely epic collapse. Yeah, you know, and what's interesting, like, to Mary Kay's point, like, this team has been doing weird stuff <laughs> all year and still finding a way to succeed. I mean, this is only the third time in franchise history that they've had to use four different starting quarterbacks. Now they've won with four different starting quarterbacks, which I don't know all the weird stats off the top of my head in the last team to do that, Mary Kay. I don't know if you had any in your gamer yet, but, I mean, that's number one. Number two, the fact that they've lost the turnover battle in nine of their 13 games, I believe it is, and they still have a winning record, that's such an anomaly. I remember that in that very early week five bi-week press conference with Andrew Berry, he sat up there and really harped on ball security and how it was an anomaly with where they were at and that they had managed wins when they had lost the turnover battle, and they just kind of kept doing it. And, like... I'm especially curious about that because we know Joe Flacco is prone to these interceptions and eventually it feels like that's something that does come back to bite you, but they've still been finding a way. And like, I do think when you get to these must win games in the postseason, teams that know how to do that, that's kind of an invaluable X factor to have. So I'm with Mary Kay. I think of the stranger things have happened here, Dan. It's just when, when do you decide that you want to join us over here? Um, when is the AFC championship game? <laughs> that's, that's when I'll, that's when I'll join you. Uh, um, but like, look, I wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if we're covering a team in the divisional round, or even if the matchups are right, if they figure out a way to win those two games, because Miles Garrett, as long as he's healthy, is that type of player. They have a quarterback who's been there, who knows what it takes. Um, they have a coach who just seems to be doing everything right, which, by the way, that's going to be uh, that's going to be my final thought um, about Kevin Stefanski. But, Ashley, did you have one? I mean, mine was also going to be about Kevin Stefanski, so you can okay. just take it. Take I'm, it. I'm just going to say, like, Kevin Stefanski yeah. is living his best life. And I, I wanted to pull up a quote here <laughs> from Miles Garrett um, that said, uh, Mary Kay, you were the one that asked him about Joe getting here three weeks ago, wondering if Flacco had anything left. And uh, he said... Other than thinking he's Stefanski's lost brother. And I'm just like, Kevin Stefanski literally is living his best life. He's spending Jimmy Haslam's money to go to the Greenbrier, to go to Los Angeles for a week. He's got Joe Flacco, who's like his best friend. Like, he basically is just a, a slightly younger version of Kevin Stefanski, like three, four years younger than Kevin Stefanski. I've, I'd imagine those two just sit around in Kevin's office just talking play action passes and football philosophy and about their kids and whatever. And it feels like he's having fun. Like that David Bell touchdown, he's throwing his headset off and running down the field. He's celebrating like we haven't seen before. I am convinced that Kevin Stefanski is having the most fun ever playing with a 38-year-old quarterback that runs his offense perfectly, spending all kinds of Jimmy Haslam's money to take this team wherever he wants to take them. And there's a legitimate case to be made that he should be coach of the year and should maybe get a contract extension. So everything's coming up, Kevin Stefanski, Ashley. 
I mean, that's exactly it, right? Like, I just keep thinking, like, this is his dream scenario. You look at the quarterbacks that he succeeded with, and like you said, the play action stuff, and what he can kind of revert back to with Joe. And and like you said, I mean, I think the celebration and when we see his little, you know, post-game speeches that the Browns tweet out every week, like, you can genuinely tell it feels like there has been a cloud that has dissipated over him after, from what I've been around the last two seasons, where it's just been nonstop drama and 500 records. And what is the end game here? And how long is his leash going to be? He's succeeding with, again, all of those adverse circumstances that I just laid out for why that might ultimately help them in a playoff push. He's succeeding despite all that and finding ways to do that. And no, he's not perfect, but I do think it really is in some ways amazing that they have managed to cobble together a winning record. And and Mary Kay Lake, it's just... I've got to imagine the whole Deshaun Watson thing with the injuries this year, and it's this isn't saying anything bad about Deshaun, but I had to imagine that just that had to wear on Kevin. That had to wear him out to the point where one week he just said, no, I'm starting P.J. Walker. That like We're starting P.J. this week. And then P.J. starts turning the ball over a bunch, and they're doing the Deshaun thing again, and right when it gets going the right way, Deshaun's lost for the year, and then he's back to a rookie, and then he just stumbles across Joe Flacco, who, again... Somebody make the Step Brothers poster of Kevin and Joe Flacco, because that's what we have going on here. It just feels like, it feels like right now, and things can change in a hurry in the NFL, but it feels like right now Kevin is feeling really good about where things are. Well, and I think that is because of Joe Flacco. It has been very stressful. The whole quarterback situation has been very stressful all season long, and he's worn it on his face and in his demeanor the way he has acted up at that podium in front of us, he just, you know, hasn't been his himself, I don't think. And uh, I think that this has taken a weight off his shoulders to, to know that he's got a quarterback who understands what it takes to get through uh, the tough times of, of December football. He gets it. He knows that Joe Flacco understands it and gets it. I mean, it's hard to, to think that you're going to try to do that with a rookie who has a fifth round pick who has started three games. I mean, that's, that would be a reach. And uh, so, you know, now he knows that he has a quarterback that can get him where he wants to go. He knows there is a chance. And I just think I was walking behind Joe Flacco as he was heading to the post game press conference. That is one Big dude, okay? He's big. Coaches love a big quarterback. <laughs> they do. I mean, they do love the dual threat quarterbacks, but these old, some of these older school guys, and I count Kevin among them because he's been in the game forever now, even though he's so young. He's been around a lot of different types of quarterbacks. Who doesn't love just a big quarterback uh, that can go out there and get the job done for you and have a cannon arm and – uh, you know, there's something to be said for that. Hard to take down and all of those sorts of things. And I think that, uh, you know, he, he knows. I mean, he knows now that they can run the play-action boot game. Like, it's old home week, right? <laughs> you know, doing that sort of thing. And, you know, I, I think he's excited about the potential of this team. I um, I asked her, I was talking to Jerome Ford after the game, and I brought up Joe. And I, I'm like, how old were you when you won the Super Bowl? He's like, well, what year was it? I think it was 2011, 2012. He's like, well, no, I was 11. <laughs> and I said, what did you think of him? And he's like, 
I was surprised how tall he was. I think we all were. Like, yes. we walked in the locker room. I think we were all surprised how tall Joe Flacco was. But Ashley, I, I don't know, man. Kevin, I think Kevin has really found a soulmate. I know. I do too. Well, Dan has this whole Joe Flacco persona that he's, he's <laughs> acted out in the media room for us about, you know, him just being, they're just two suburban dads who happen to know a lot about football. And one of them happens to be 6'6 and a former Super Bowl MVP. And I'll second that, though. I do think when I first saw Joe Flacco, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe how tall he is. Like, I haven't known this information for years, but definitely is, is he feels one of those guys who feels taller in person. Okay, I do want to I do want to throw out one thing. And also shout out to Chris Easterling. I think we spent way too long on Friday going back and <laughs> forth with Joe Flacco's suburban dad jokes. But anyway, uh, one last thing. Josh on Twitter, I tweeted out earlier today, let's agree to never talk about Rust again. And Josh tweets back at me, as long as you all agree to never bring up Josh Dobbs on the podcast again, we oh. have a deal. I, Josh, I don't think we can make that deal. I think we love... We love talking about Dobbsy. I'm sorry, Josh. Well, you know, I will tell you that the acquisition of Joe Flacco is is a huge save. It is Mm -hmm. a huge save. It was an oversight that they left themselves short at the backup quarterback position. And every team in the NFL this season that has had to go to their backup quarterback has learned the hard way that that is a decent place to spend some money. Who cares if you have to spend $6 million on a quarterback? Think of all the money that they spend on all these other positions, and you're not going to invest in a guy that can possibly make or break your entire season. I think that's going to change next year. This is a huge save by the Cleveland Browns to get Joe Flacco here. And and I can't believe that. I, I mean, based on what we've seen, and some of this is hindsight, sure, but I can't believe that other like the Jets didn't bring him back. Like that, there's so many other teams that could have used a Joe Flacco, and here he is. The Browns got very fortunate, and um, it seemed like a strange acquisition. I understood why they did it, but it seemed weird considering you know, what they usually looked for in quarterbacks in that room, but bringing him in may be the thing that saves their season. Okay, that's going to do it here for the Orange Brown Talk podcast post-game edition. Ashley, you didn't have anything to add about Kevin, did you? Because I know you had no, a Kevin. that was like on. basically okay. it, that it's just, you know, he's, he's coaching very well right now. What else is there to say? <laughs> All right, so that will do it for this edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Browns 31-27 winners over the Jaguars. Become a football insider subscriber. Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. Tons of texts went out today during the game injury updates all sorts of stuff um and then also find us on instagram search orange brown talk find us on youtube search cleveland browns on cleveland.com for mary Kay and ashley i'm dan thanks for listening everybody